The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So our text today is going to be in Revelation chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 10. So that's Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Uh, a challenging passage to understand, but a passage I think that as we understand it will become so, so encouraging. So this is going to be Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Let's hear God's word together. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked, and behold, a great number that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we're so thankful to be together. We're so thankful for the Holy Spirit that you sent to us, who draws our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to you. We're so thank you for, thankful for Jesus Christ, who has brought us into your family. And Lord, we're thankful for your word. We pray now, Lord, that as we sit together before your word, that your spirit would help us, give us understanding in our minds, give us soft hearts to believe what you say. Please help me, Lord, to teach this passage clearly and faithfully for your glory, Lord, and the blessing of your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes life can feel so heavy and so oppressive, can it? It can feel heavy and oppressive. Can you relate to that? Whether it's a crisis in the world around us, difficulty in our personal life or relationships, even the fight against our own sin, every once in a while, words like these can kind of spurt out of our souls. Our hearts say, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Have you had that thought? Your heart says, I don't know if I can make it. I've had that feeling before. So here's the question. How do you know? How can you know you're going to make it? We're continuing our study through this amazing book of Revelation. And this morning, we're going to be in the first half of chapter 7. And certainly, as you heard it read, you might have thought with me, well, this could be a challenging text to understand. Well, our first step will be we have to do a little bit of background and remember what we saw in chapter 6. So it was two weeks ago, we were working through Revelation 6 and that scene with the scroll and the six seals. If you want to listen to that message, that's on our website. But we need to remember that the scroll represented God's plan for human history. And his plan came from his throne, from whence he rules all things. And in chapter 5, we saw that only Jesus is worthy and able to take the scroll. In other words, he's the only one good enough, strong enough, qualified enough to hold God's plan for human history in his hands. And he accomplishes it. Well, then we went into chapter 6, and Jesus began to open the seals on the scroll, and almost shockingly, out from these seals emerge these pictures of all these various and devastating, 
sufferings we can expect in this life. Let's remember some of them. In the first four seals, we saw those first four horsemen. They signify suffering from tyrannical governments, violence, social unrest, famine, economic collapse, and even untimely death as these forces collide together on earth. That sounds relevant, doesn't it? Are those horses riding today? Certainly they are. Then the fifth seal showed us the persecutions Christians especially can expect as the price they pay for loyal witness to Jesus according to his word. Some are even killed for being faithful to who Jesus is and what his word has said. And all this brings us to a very important realization, doesn't it? It's a hard realization for, some, for, some, for, for us sometimes, especially I think as modern American Christians. Here's the realization Suffering and tribulation is not ultimately something that might come in the future, which we hope to get saved out of. Suffering and tribulation is defining of the age we are in now. It's normal for this age between Jesus' ascension into heaven and his return in glory. It's something we must expect. And John said this, didn't he? This is what the Apostle John, the author of this letter, said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. Let's just remember what he said, Revelation 1, 9. Hi, John, your brother, brother in Christ, and partner. Partner in the what? The tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. John knew what it's like to be trampled by every one of those horses. He was on exile as a political prisoner, And so tribulation is something we can expect now. What's more, if that weren't enough, the five seals, chapter six also took us to the sixth seal, that overwhelming moment when Jesus comes to judge the earth. And do you you remember what those who have rebelled against him said on that day? Do you remember what they said? Look at Revelation 6, 16 to 17. They called to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And what's the question they ask? Who can stand against the wrath of God? And this is this, this very sober promise the Bible makes from start to finish. God is not done with his creation. One day he will redeem it and remake it perfectly, and we can't wait. But in that process will be judgment. Judgment. And any heart and mind that knows its own rebellion against God, your thoughts, your motives, your deeds, the question comes, when God in his holiness comes to judge, who can stand? Who can stand? And so, okay, chapter six, super happy chapter, right? Six seals of suffering, heavy stuff. But listen, that's because the Bible is honest. Aren't you glad? It doesn't tell you it'll all be roses, because it won't all be roses. The Bible is honest. It prepares us to live in the real world. But chapter 6 and all it has in it does raise these two important questions. How are we going to make it through tribulation? It's so hard, it's so difficult, it's so overwhelming. Our hearts will even say sometimes, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can do it. How are we going to make it through tribulation? And then the question that was asked explicitly, who can stand when Jesus returns? That leads us up to chapter 7. Because amazingly, wonderful, wonderfully, in chapter 7, we see everything put on pause in order to answer these two questions. This is how God's people will make it, chapter 7 will say. This is who can stand, chapter 7 will say. So that's what we want to see this morning. We'll see it in three parts. The sealed, the saved, the strength. The sealed, the saved, and the strength. So first of all, the sealed. We're just going to dive right in here to our text, chapter 7, verse 1. 
John writes, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. What does that mean? Well, four, 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 did you catch that? What's four about? Four signifies completeness. This is common in the Old Testament. It's even common in the speech of Jesus. Four can mean universal. It kind of makes sense. North, south, east, west, the whole shebang. Four means completeness. What we're saying then is this action about to be taken here in verse one is universal and applies everywhere. It's happening everywhere. This is, this is huge. It's comprehensive. It's all around us. This is a big deal. Second thing to see, it's not just complete. It's also a pause. They're holding things back. Do you see that? Hold back the four winds. Don't let it touch creation yet. So what is it that you think is being held back? What do you think, that's being, what do you think it is that's being put on pause? I want to suggest to you that it's the entirety of the events of chapter six and all the tribulation they bring. Tribulation, the four horses, all the seals, they're being put on pause for a moment. Now, some of you are like, no, hold on. So you're telling me what happened in chapter seven happened in or before chapter six, right? And it, it's confusing a little bit because you're reading it in a way that's linear, and I understand that, and usually that's valid, but I need to let you know you'll get in trouble in your interpretation of Revelation if you see the order of the visions of this book matching the chronological order of the events of history. You see what I'm saying? And here's how we know this. What did the sixth seal have in it? The end of the world. And then you realize there's 16 chapters left in this book. Well, wait, the end of the world has already been, yeah, it's been mentioned, but see what's going to happen is John is going to come back and see things again. He's going to go over the same ideas again. He's going to add detail to them. He's going he's to heighten them for us. And that's what's happening here. We see this tidal wave of suffering and tribulation come, but John is saying, hold on, right? Because the questions we ask, who, how are we going to make it? Who can stand? Oh, hold on. John wants to say, before tribulation wrecked its havoc, something happened. God did something. Everything was put on pause. And what is it that he wants to do? Well, here we see it, verses two to three. I saw another angel rising with the rising of the sun, the seal of the living God, the seal of the living God. He called with a loud voice, tells, pause everything. Don't harm the earth or the sea of the trees until what? What has to be done? until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. So what is it that must, be, that must happen, that must take place before tribulation pours out on the earth? What's got to happen? It's going to be comprehensive. It's going to be everywhere. You know what it is? God is going to seal his people. He's going to seal his people. Now, what's it mean to seal something. You think of an ancient letter with the, the seal of the king. It does two things, right? Number one, it identifies. It's got the, keels, the, the king's seal on it. He stamps his ring in the wax. There it is. We know who it belongs to. Not only that, it doesn't just identify, it preserves. The only way to get the letter open is to break the seal and, and get inside. So that seal, as long as it's closed there, it keeps what's in the letter in the letter. And so that's what sealing signifies. When God seals his people, he's doing two things. He's identifying you as his, and he is promising to keep you as his. He identifies and he preserves. The idea is this, this is mine, and I intend to keep it. Wow, so who is sealed? It's the servants of God. The servants of God are sealed by God. God is saying, these are mine and I'm keeping them for myself. And we remember that the book of Revelation is full of allusions to the Old Testament. An allusion is kind of like a pictorial reference of something that happened previously in scripture. And so it's not, you don't see John refer, uh, referring to a text like this, as you read in Ezekiel chapter nine. No, he just gives you the picture of what happened. And so this is an allusion to Ezekiel chapter 9. Look what happened there. This is the prophet Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. The Lord said to him, 
passed through the city, through Jerusalem, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. That's really important for understanding our passage, isn't it? So what's the context? In Ezekiel, the people of Israel have just gone off the rails. They're worshiping idols. They're wicked. They're twisted. They're worse than the nations around them. And God here is referring to the people, the remnant that's still left in Israel. And when they see all the abominations the people are committing, how do they feel about it? What do they do? They sigh and they groan. They're like, oh, this is awful. They're, they're, they're hurt over the sin of the people because they love God and his ways. They're his. And so do you see what's happening in Ezekiel 9.4? Judgment is going to come on Israel, but God says before judgment comes through, what's God going to do for his people? He marks them on their foreheads as belonging to him. He identifies them and will preserve them as his own, even as he judges the land. Now, doesn't that sound just like our text here in Revelation 7? God is sealing his people for himself. So, so put this in your pocket and grab onto this. What, what has happened before this idea of tribulation has been poured out? What has God make sure happens? Everything's put on pause. Four winds, four corners, everything's put on pause. And before any tribulation pours out, what does God do for his people? You're mine. And I'm keeping you. Wow. Then we start to get into this tricky section about numbers. Verse four, John says, and I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. Now, how many of you have encountered this idea before and kind of somebody told you how this works and you were left scratching your head, okay? You're not the first. It's tricky, isn't it? It's, it's complex. What is he saying? Uh, we at least need to notice it's very number-oriented, okay? Um, 144,000, it sounds so perfect. And what do we have? We have, well, we have 12 tribes of Israel, each times 1,000, 144,000. What's going on? What are we supposed to do with it? Who are these people? A couple of observations first. This is probably another allusion to the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. Have you ever tried to read through Numbers? You're, you're, you're reading the Bible for your devotions and you get to Numbers and you're like, oh my goodness, what do I do with, what do I do with six pages of Numbers? You know, How do I handle this? Well, these censuses were very important in that they identified the holistic people of God ready to go on mission. They're all here. They're counted. And here we are together in unity, ready to go on mission. This census is a little bit different for a couple reasons. One thing to point out, the tribe of Judah is mentioned first and in the lead. Well, why do you think that is? Why is the tribe of Judah first? Do you remember our king, the lion of the tribe of Judah? That's where he's from. That's why that tribe goes first. He's our king. Another thing you'll notice is that the tribes of Ephraim and Dan are not mentioned. They did not make the list. The list has changed a little bit. Why is that? Well, it's probably because as you read Old Testament history, you see those tribes, especially the tribe of Dan, falling into severe apostasy. They no longer worship God, and so they're not in the record anymore. That's probably what is being communicated. But, but most of all, we notice, boy, these numbers are just too, they're just too perfect, Right? They're just 12,000, 12,000, 12, 144,000. What are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to understand this group? Well, we're going to spend a bulk of our time on that this morning because we have to. Okay? Um, there's many theories about this group, and I can't go into all of them. And I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure I don't even know all of them. Jehovah's Witnesses say these are the only people who make it to, to, to heaven at all. The true heaven. This is it, 144,000. I don't think that's right. Some Christians will say, well, this is a group of ethnic Jews after a rapture of Gentile Christians. I'm not convinced by that at all either. So what do I owe you here as we're dealing with a tricky question about how to interpret the Bible? What do I owe you? What I owe you is a deep Bible study dive, 
okay? We want to do this now. We wanna go through the book of Revelation and collect evidence, anything we can find that tells us who this group is because we owe it to ourselves and I owe it to you to make our decision based on the Bible. What's the best interpreter of the Bible? The Bible. So let's look, what, what does the text tell us about this group of people? And then we'll try to see what it means for our lives. So before any further, we need to turn now to Revelation chapter 14. In chapter 14, the same group is mentioned again, and you learn so much about them. So let's go over to Revelation chapter 14 and do some research. Revelation 14, 1. John writes, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb and with him, guess who? 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. As we're in Revelation 14, I want you to pick up three things about this group, three things about the 144,000. The first thing to know about them is that they stand with and belong to Jesus Christ. You see that? Who are they standing with? They stand with Jesus and they belong to him in such a way, you know, it's really beautiful. We see more detail about the ceiling, don't we? What was it exactly that is written on the foreheads of God's servants? Jesus' name and his father's name. Now, do you think this is a literal ceiling? Should you expect to see people with forehead tattoos? No, uh, that would be silly, but this is less about what humans see and far more about what God sees. And here it becomes so beautiful. Look what God has placed on the forehead of God's people. You are my children through Jesus Christ. That's how I see you. That's your name right there on your forehead. They stand with and they belong to Jesus. Second thing you need to see about the 144,000, look at verses two to three. Revelation 14, two to three. I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the, the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And you're thinking, well, what? Hold on, just back up. We've heard this before. Second thing to know about this group they know the new song. This sealed. They belong to Jesus. They stand with him. And they know the new song. What did you pick up about the song? Did you hear things like many waters, thunder, harps? Did you hear that? Friends, we've seen this before. Do you remember? Have you been grabbing on a revelation? Where did, where did we hear a song that involved thunder and harps? Oh, it was chapters Five, four and five, where we were before the throne of God, worshiping. We've heard this before. It's the same song. Remember, it's the new song. Have we heard the new song before? We have. Go back to Revelation chapter five, verse nine. Look very carefully with me. Revelation five, verse nine. And they sang a what? A new song. And what is the song? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is the song. Now, you heard that funny phrase in verse 3. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed. Let's put this together. To know the song, you need to be redeemed. How do we get redeemed? It's in the song. Worthy are you, Lord Jesus, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people. That's what the song is about. Redemption, being bought out of slavery to sin. And the reason they're singing the song, they've learned the song from the heart because they know the gospel. 
They believe the gospel that Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, came and took on flesh and lived a perfect life for them and died on the cross as a substitute. That's why he's called the lamb in their place for their sins and rose from the dead in victory and offers himself to all who will repent of their sins and trust in him. If you will trust your life to Jesus, you can know that you are completely forgiven of all your sins and given the righteousness of the very son of God and adopted into his family. And when you know that, guess what you do? You sing. Was anybody here about 20 minutes ago? What did we sing? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. We're learning about the 144,000, aren't we? They stand with and they belong to Jesus. They sing the new song, the song of redemption, the song of praise to Jesus Christ for saving them from their sins. But there's more to see. I want you to go back to Revelation 14.4. It's even more tricky, perhaps. We're still learning about this group. Who are these people? The 144,000, Revelation 14.4. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as a first roots for God and the lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Well, this does get tricky, doesn't it? Uh, can't you imagine 144,000 Jewish virgin men following a lamb around? We remember that Revelation is its own kind of literature. It's apocalyptic which means it's gonna rely so often on symbol. And if an author gives you a symbol and you try to take the symbol literalistically, you will totally miss what the author meant to say. That, that trick kind of happens with kids on playgrounds, you know? I love chocolate. And then what does little Jimmy say? Do you wanna marry it? You know? No. Are we supposed to envision the 144,000 being only men? I mean, that's what the text says, right? They haven't defiled themselves with women. They're only men. Oh, and by the way, they're virgins. Are we supposed to envision the 144,000 being literally Jewish virgins who have never lied? I mean, if you take this literally, it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? It's, it sounds so strange. Well, that's because we've been reading, we've been reading this book wrong. We're not supposed to take it literally. Revelation is relying on symbol. What does it mean that they haven't deviled themselves with women? Read the book of Revelation and you'll see one of the strongest illustrations for what it means to be faithful to Jesus through tribulation is that of a marriage or adultery, okay? The messages to the seven churches, um, the, the end of Revelation, we're going to see heaven begins like a, a wedding, where the church, the beautiful bride, comes before her husband, the ultimate husband, Jesus Christ. And so over and over again, to not defile yourself or to not commit adultery, it's far more than being faithful to your literal spouse here. It's about being faithful to Jesus in the midst of cultural pressure to deny him. And so in the ancient world, when this letter was written, there'd be so much pressure to... Uh, because of the work you do, uh, you go to a work conference, you'd have to offer sacrifices to Zeus. And if you wouldn't do it, you lose your job. And so here's the painful question. Who's your husband? Who are you going to be loyal to? And so to not defile, your, defile yourself is to be faithful to Christ no matter the pressure, no matter the cost. It's the same thing when he says there was no lie in their mouths. In Revelation, we see that Jesus is the faithful witness. That means he told the truth about God no matter the cost. And guess what God's people are called to be, like Jesus? Go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. We just remember what Jesus said in his message to the church in Pergamum. There's an important example there in a guy named Antipas. Revelation 2, 13. Jesus says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. It's a hard place to be. Yet, what do they do well? You hold fast my name, 
And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness. Antipas was killed for the testimony of who Jesus is. He told no lie about who Jesus is. He was a faithful witness. He told the truth. And all these descriptions add up to say this. The 144,000 are people who are faithful to Jesus through tribulation. That's what these images mean. They're faithful to him through tribulation. So what have we learned so far in our research on this group? Who are the 144,000? Things we've seen so far. They stand with and they belong to Jesus. They have his name, his father's name written on their forehead. Number two, they know the new song of the redeemed. They sing, worthy is the lamb because they were bought by his blood. Three, they have been faithful to Jesus through tribulation and persecution. Amazing. There's more. Let's go back into chapter 7. Back into chapter 7 now, still asking the question, who are these people, the 144,000? Back in chapter 7, we see in verse 3, the sealing that they experienced was for a certain group specifically. Chapter 7, verse 3, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed. Who? Who is it that gets sealed? The servants of God. That's a very important phrase in the book of Revelation. Let me show you two examples. Look at Revelation 1, verse 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show who? His servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So who looks like servants of God here in this picture? Well, John the Apostle is a servant of God. And Revelation, the people for whom it was for, the people in all of these cities who are not necessarily ethnically Jewish, what are they called? Servants of God. Moreover, look at Revelation 22, 3. This is a picture of heaven. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And who's right there? His servants will worship him. Aren't you, are you learning something here? The phrase servant of God is synonymous for being a Christian. That's what it means. We love him and we want to serve him. So we're adding all this up. Who are the 144,000? They stand with and belong to Jesus. They know the song of the redeemed. They're faithful to Jesus through tribulation. They're servants of God. Let me give you one more thing to consider. There seems to be a pattern in Revelation where John will often say, I heard, and he'll receive some information, and then we'll turn the corner and he'll say, I saw. I heard, then I saw. And what happens is he'll hear of something, and then when he sees it, he learns more about that same thing. One example was in Revelation 5. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David is conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. If you stop right there, what did, what did John hear about? Who did John hear about? Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the king. And, and what's he like? He's like a lion. And you think of this roaring, powerful, terrifying, strong Lion, that's who Jesus is. But then John turns and he sees, look at verse six, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw what? A lamb standing as though it has been slain. Here's the precious beauty. You don't really understand Jesus as king until you see him as the one who humbly died for the sins of his people. John heard about Jesus, but then he saw. He knew something about Jesus, but then he saw and learned more. The same thing happens with our 144,000 here in Revelation 7. Look at Revelation 7, 4 again. And I, what's the third word there? I heard the number of the sealed. It's not something I saw. I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000. Now look down to verse 9. After this, I what? I looked. So I, I heard of the group, but then I turned to look and I learned even more. After this, I looked and behold, what does he see now? 
a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. He heard of the sealing of the 444,000, but he's saying you don't really get the 144,000 until you see the multitude of all nations. It's the same group. He saw a great multitude from every people group. And so we see this amazing transition where we get Israel. Who are they throughout the Old Testament? They are the chosen people of God. The census is taken. They're all their completeness. And yet when we see them truly, what has the chosen people of God become? A multitude of all nations. It's the same group. Now, some of you say, I'm not... Some would say I'm not reading this right. But if you read even just the Bible as, the, as a whole, isn't this what you should expect? Look what God promised to Abraham, the father of Israel, all the way back in Genesis 12, 2 to 3. Look what God said. He said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're supposed to see God's people grow into this innumerable number that includes every tongue, tribe, and nation. We've been waiting for this from the beginning. This is God's plan to save his people. So what is the number about then? Are we supposed to take it literally? You're almost never supposed to take a number in Revelation, literally. Uh, otherwise, the lamb who was slain, he has seven horns. Uh, what is he has seven horns? That means he's completely in control. 144,000, what does it mean? Well, here's what's amazing. Later in verse, in chapter 7, you get a, a group of people that's innumerable. We can't count them all, right? These are God's people. They're innumerable. And yet, the way God sees them... 144,000, what does it show you? It shows you that even though you're part of an innumerable host, you are individually and intimately known. The number here signifies not one of God's people is missing. They're all here. The numbers line up. They're perfect. Every single one of my people is here. That's what it's saying to you. Which means we've done our, our intellectual exercise. I'm telling you, the 144,000 are a picture of Christians, God's people. Which means, this is what it means, that before a drop of tribulation began to pour on you in your life, God says, hold on. He gets out his pen and he writes, my child through Jesus Christ, period. And the ink is not coming off. And he has done this for every single one of his people for all time. Not one is missing. Not one is missing. This is meant to deeply encourage you. Did you know that God has sealed you as his own if you trust Jesus Christ? Somebody might say, how do I know I'm sealed? How do I know he's marked me like that as his to keep me? Well, this is how you know. The sealed know the song. The sealed know the song. Did you sing the song from the heart? Do you sing it every day? What's the song? Jesus, you live for me, you died for me, you rose for me, I'm yours. That's my song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, king of kings and lord of lords. That's the song I sing. If you sing that song, you're sealed. You're his. And you will definitely, certainly, absolutely make it through any tribulation. And how do you know? It's not because you're looking at your own strength or your own genius or the wisdom of all your choices or getting everything right or always doing it right. No. The only people God, the only thing God's people do in this chapter is sing. <laughs> the 
The reason you'll make it is because God will make sure you make it. It's his strength that will hold you through any tribulation. In fact, he doesn't let it fall on you without the, sh- the, sh- the certainty that you're his. In the midst of these ways of tribulation, we have no idea how safe we are. Because Jesus is in control of it, and he'll keep us through it. He's in control of it, and he will keep us through it. Do you sing the song? Did you know if you sing the song, you've been sealed? Look at Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. In him, that's Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were what? What happened? You were sealed. With who? The promised Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself is on you. The one writing the name is the Spirit who's with you. And look at the strength of this language, verse 14. He is the what? The guarantee. He's the guarantee. It's like uh, if, you, if you're going to get an inheritance, you didn't get it all yet, but you had this one promise that said you certainly will get it. We're waiting for that great inheritance when we're before the face of God and the new heavens and the new earth. But the spirit right now here with us, drawing us to trust our God through Jesus Christ according to his word, the spirit who inspires us to sing of the love of God together, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Are you gonna make it? Why are you gonna make it? Because if you belong to Christ, God's gonna make sure you make it. He's given you his Holy Spirit. You've been sealed. You know, you start looking at this text and you're like, oh, this is curious and strange. And then when you add it all up and you see what it means, I think it's one of the most profoundly encouraging texts in the Bible. That God would put everything on hold to write his name on every one of his people to say to them, this is the message he's saying to you today, if you trust Jesus Christ, God is saying to you today, I will never let you go. When I see you, I see my name on you. Wow. Wow. How are we gonna make it? God's gonna keep us. Well, there was one more question. We've already mostly answered it, but let's finish it off. Who can stand on the day of wrath? Who can stand? you ponder that, you remember in that text, you know, the people there saying this are begging for an avalanche. We've said it before, we'll say it again. How scared do you have to be when an avalanche looks like good news? How awful must this be when you're like, I'll take avalanche, please. That's how awful this is to stand before a holy God will judge us for our motives, for our thoughts, for our deeds, according to his holy law. I don't want to stand there on my own. No, 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 I, cannot, I couldn't stand before that. How can we stand? Who can stand? Well, the answer's in the song, isn't it? The answer's in the song. We get Revelation 7, 13 to 14. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these? You know, and that's the question. Who, it is, who, who made it? We, we made it out of, out of the, the sixth seal, and now all of a sudden we're in heaven. Who, who are these? Clothed in white robes, from where have they come? I want you to see where they came from. Verse 14, sir, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of where? The great tribulation. They didn't get yanked out of tribulation, so they never experienced it. Oh, no, they were saved through tribulation, and they made it. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Imagine your robe is your resume. Imagine on your robe is written what you thought said and done, what you haven't done. And imagine a holy God comes and looks at your robe. You don't want to be wearing your robe on that day. But there's a way to get it washed white. It's so strange because the way to get it washed white is to wash it in blood. Isn't that interesting? What kind of blood is it that can stain white? the blood of the lamb. And this is a symbol of the gospel. 
the eternal Son of God really did come and live a perfect life for you so that if you trust in him, the merits of his perfection are given to you as a gift and you wear it like a robe. It's not yours. It's not your resume. It's his resume you are wearing. And when he shed his blood on the cross, he washed away all your sins in that he literally actually paid the debt you owe in your place on the cross. He died for your sins and he rose from the dead in victory. If you will turn from your sins and trust in him, you can be safe even on the day of judgment because it's not your robe you're wearing ultimately, it's his. And there's no wrath for you because all the wrath has been paid already. If you sing the song, you're sealed. And if you're sealed, you'll stand. If you sing the song of redemption, you're sealed. And if you're sealed, you will stand. In the same way, it's just like the 144,000, the number that says all of God's people are here. Look what Jesus said in John 6, 38 to 40. John 6, 38 to 40. The words of Jesus Christ, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose, what's that next word? Nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now just pause for a minute. If you're a baseball player and you hit, you know, one out of three successfully, you're really good. Did you know that? I just wanna ask, what's Jesus' batting average when it comes to him saving those he intends to save? Did you see his claim? I will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. He bats a thousand when it comes to saving his people. It's perfect. Verse 40, this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, which means that person will certainly stand. You'll stand. Do you see the strength of our God in Revelation 7 for his people? In the midst of this terror of the tribulation and all its waves and the four horses and the persecution and the suffering and the difficulty, how life can feel like too much, God puts it all on pause and says to his people, before a drop of it touches you, I want you to know my strength is for you. I know you. I have sealed you. I will save you and you will stand. And this is what is meant to happen. His strength for us is meant to inspire us with strength as we press on today. He, knowing that he loves you like this, that he knows you like this, that he will keep you like this, this is the strength to make it. This is the strength to keep going faithfully. This is the application today pretty much two applications. If you're not a Christian, you're not sealed, you won't stand. Trust yourself to Jesus today. He invites you. He invites you today. If you'll turn of your selfishness and your autonomy, if you'll turn and trust yourself to him, he will certainly receive you and the merits of who he is and what he's done will be given to you. Even today, you'll be forgiven, adopted as a child of God. Trust Jesus Second application, if you do trust Jesus, trust him more. He didn't just get you forgiven of your sins so that he could leave you in the corner and forget about you as the trials of life take over. His name is written on your head. He has sealed you in with his Holy Spirit. If you sing the song, you're sealed and you will stand Look at what Paul said in Romans 8. You know, he asked kind of the same questions. Romans 8, 35. A lot of these words sound just like Revelation 6. Listen to this, Romans 8, 35. Who's gonna separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, what? 
tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Those are the four horsemen. Can they ride over you and break you so that you're lost, you no longer trust Christ, you won't make it? Can these things do it? Look at Paul's answer in 37, 837. No, no. In all these things, do you hear it? Not pulled out on top of them. In them, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You will have an overwhelming victory in it. You will be, you're you're the 144,000. You wear the robe. You haven't defiled yourself. You tell the truth. You're a faithful witness. You can. You have the Holy Spirit. You'll conquer through, through what? Him who loved us. You'll conquer because he loves you. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. You worried about things to come? Nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor anything else in all, in all creation. I'm sure none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Revelation 7 is all about. Are you gonna make it? Yeah, if you sing the song, you're sealed, you'll stand because God and his love is your strength. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful word you have given us. What a wonderful chapter, confusing to us, but as we dive in, we see, oh, symbols, pictures, evidences of your love. We are counted by you, we are known by you, We will be saved by you. I pray for everybody listening right now, Lord, that they would be encouraged. Uh, You only know the struggles, the pain, the uncertainty, the difficulty that exists in our hearts and our minds. You know the chaos of the world around us. You know our concerns for the future. Lord, even as we try to live wisely, help the anchor of our heart be planted right here on your love for your people. Your name is on our heads. Your robe is around us. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna stand. Help us keep singing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.